Good morning and welcome to Shouts of Grace. This morning we are continuing our series through the book of Psalms, and we have come to Psalm chapter 51 through chapter 55. Once again, it's Psalms chapter 51 through 55. I hope that you're making your way through Psalms five chapters at a time. By the time we get through the month of June, there's 30 days in June, we're going to be through the book of Psalms. And so I hope that you're taking that challenge up and continuing to read it. Um, it, it has just been, uh, it, it's been really an enjoyment. You know, uh, w- when I got into this, I, I kind of had some other goals, um, some other goals in my devotional uh, life that I really wanted to be uh, going through and accomplishing and getting through. And of course, uh, going and adding five chapters of scripture a day to that uh, has slowed some of those down just a little bit uh, with that. And so I was, I don't want to say that I was was disappointed, but I had some other things that I was really excited to do. I've definitely gone through Psalms a few times uh, this way, one, uh, five chapters at a time in a month. And and so I was kind of going like, well, you know, in some ways it kind of stinks that I'm going to be taking a, a, a pause or not making as much progress over here in this area uh, of, of scripture reading and study. But one thing that I've noticed is, man, it is not a disappointment at all. I have thoroughly enjoyed going through the book of Psalms five chapters a time uh, a day uh, and, and working our way through Psalms. And I hope that you've enjoyed it too. But today we're going to be focusing in on Psalm chapter 51 specifically, Psalm chapter 51 specifically. And, and this is an interesting chapter of scripture. Before I read it, I just want you to realize uh, that this is a Psalm that David wrote um, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he uh, had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So this is uh, the psalm that followed after David got confronted. And I think that there's a couple things that, that you can really see in this chapter of Scripture uh, just with the heart of David. One is as to why he really is called a man after God's own heart, why God calls him a man after his own heart. And it's not because that he didn't sin. Obviously, we know David, um, he he went and, you know, he was a polygamist. We know that he committed adultery. We know that David um, also committed murder with uh, Uriah. We know that David also uh, counted, did a census of the children of Israel when he wasn't supposed to do a census of the children of Israel. We know that he was a, a man of, of warfare. Um, we know that he did not do things, everything perfectly. But one thing that is absolutely certain about David is that he had a heart that was ready and willing to repent and, and truly repent of that as well. You know, it, it wasn't that we have a story of Bathsheba seven times with David. It's not that we have a story of Uriah, um, you know, four times. Uh, or people like Uriah. You know, it's not that. It's it's that David actually did come and repent. He came and he repented before God. And, and this really does show uh, the heart of David. And I think that you can really see uh, that in this chapter of Scripture. Uh, another thing that I think that you can see is not just this idea that he has this heart of repentance, uh, but also this heart of restoration, this heart of restoration, of understanding uh, the fruit of repentance and what does repentance bring. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit here this morning. Uh, But before I get ahead of myself, let's go ahead and let's read this chapter of Scripture. Psalm chapter 51, starting in verse 1. And it says this, 
to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire the truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you make known make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous Spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise, for you you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it to you. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness with burnt offering and the whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bowls on your altar. What a powerful, powerful psalm. I mean, just, just an incredibly powerful psalm. But we see here that David starts off and he starts off with it really in asking for forgiveness of his sin and a confession and admittance of his sin. He, he says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. We see here the heart of David in just in an incredible way. When he is confronted with sin, what is his immediate response here? It is to go to God and to beg for mercy, to ask for forgiveness, to admit and to confess his sins. And you know, I bring this up because this is not an easy thing to do. We should be doing this as Christians. This should be something that is is part of your life and is often part of your life. You should be going and asking God for forgiveness. You should be taking inventory of your life. And certainly when the prophet of God, when the preacher of God comes and he confronts you with sin that is in your life, you should go and turn away from your sin. You should go and ask for forgiveness and ask God for mercy of your sin. You should tell him that you have sinned against God. You should tell him 
him that, that you have sinned and that you acknowledge your sin and that you know that you have committed sin against God. You know, when it talks about in 1 John 1, 9, it says uh, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess, it means to say the same as. That's what confess means here. And there's two things that I always like to point out about confessing. One is that in order to say the same thing as God, it means you have to see it the same way that God sees it. And he sees that sin that you committed as his son, Jesus Christ, dying on the tree, dying on the cross for you. That, that the sin that you committed, that is a hammer that is driving the nails through the hands and feet of Jesus. It is a, a whip that is going and beating the back of Jesus Christ. It is a crown of thorns that is going onto our Savior's head. It is a gasp of air as he is suffocating upon the cross and, and, and moving that torn, ripped open, wounded back across the rugged tree that he was hung upon. That is how Jesus Christ, that is how God sees our sin, because he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He took our blame. He took our punishment upon the cross. And so that is how the Father sees it, and you must see it that way when you sin. But the second thing about confession is that idea of saying the same as. You know, when you go and you have a quote-unquote little white lie, do you go and say, oh, it was just it was, it was was just a little thing, you know, not a big deal, just a, just a little white lie. You know, it, oh, just, you, you know, oops, it was just a mistake, just an accident. No, that's not real confession. Real confession is saying the same thing as God says. And he says, no, that was a lie. That is a sin. That is a transgression against my law. That's what Jesus, that's what God says sin is. He doesn't go and say it was an accident or a mistake. It was sin. You're not confessing your sin if you're going and saying it was an accident, God. That's not real confession. You don't see David going and saying, but, but Lord, I mean, you know, she was, she was bathing out there, and I mean, it, I didn't intend to go and commit adultery. I mean, you know, God, I, I shouldn't have done it, shouldn't have done it, but you know, I, it was just a mistake. Can you forgive me of my mistake? You know, can we be good? No, because that's not the heart that's after God. The heart that is after God's own heart is pained and is hurt by the things that God is pained by and is hurt by. And he is so holy. He is so far above sin. He is so separate from sin. Sin causes God pain. And so if you have a heart that is after God, your heart will hurt when you commit sin against God. We come down to verse 10. Actually, I want to come down here uh, to verse 13, and then we're going to work our way back to verse 10. But it says this in verse 13. Then, so after these things, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. You, you know, one of the biggest questions that I get asked and get asked often is questions on evangelism. 
what is what is the best way uh, to evangelize? What is the best way to improve um, evangelism in my life? How can I be better witness, um, you know, to others? How can I share the gospel with them? Things like that. I, I, I get asked that question actually quite a bit. And this is one of the passages of scripture that often comes to my mind. And it's one that is not familiar when it comes to, you know, strategies on on sharing the gospel. You know, maybe you think of uh, the Great Commission. Maybe you think of uh, simple, maybe not even, you know, passages of scripture. Maybe you're thinking of different techniques to go and share the gospel. And that's what people are looking for. But if you really want to become better at sharing the gospel in your life, and this is a passage of scripture that I think that you should really pay attention to. Because David goes and he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. Okay. Uh, I just want to say this here. That's making disciples. That's that's part of the Great Commission. And sinners shall be converted to you. That's obviously evangelism, right? Sinners being converted. That's what he's talking about. Well, it, it comes after the then. And uh, to, to go through this kind of quickly as opposed to really breaking down everything, but I'd encourage you to break down everything, to write down everything here that just happened in these uh, 12 verses ahead of time. We, we already talked about the idea that that David goes and, and he asks for forgiveness from God, that he goes and he confesses and he admits that he has sinned, um, and that he's asking there for that forgiveness of that sin, that he's going and doing that. If you want to be a better witness for God, get a better confession life. Spend more time confessing your sin before God. The next things though that we really see that I think really uh, point out is that he says in verse 10, create a clean heart, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast or a right spirit within me. So what is he going and saying? Well, it's not just that he's going and confessing his sin, but now he's saying like, Lord, cleanse my heart, make my heart pure. Have you spent time in prayer asking for God to make your heart pure? I mean, think about it when it comes to evangelism. You need to have pure motives before somebody. You know, you're you're about to go and to confront them with the fact that they are destined for hell, that they deserve hell. And uh, are you doing that because you actually love them and you want to see them go to heaven and you want to see them know Jesus Christ as their savior? Or are you telling them that because you want to get a notch on your belt? Are you telling them that because it's part of the program that you're doing? Are you telling them that because, you know, it's just part of the culture that you're in? If you really want to go and see somebody get saved, because people can kind of see through often when you come with bad motives, you're probably not great at hiding your bad motives. Most people aren't. There are some people who are tremendous at it, and that's a scary thing when they are. But you need to go and have a clean heart. Create me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Get my spirit right, Lord. Get my heart right before you. Clean me up. Not just not just confessing my sin, but get me back to the right. Don't just take away the sin, but put me back in the path of righteousness with my heart. Get my heart longing for the right things once again. Get my spirit pushing towards the right way to be steadfast in what is right. And then in verse 11, it says, and do not cast me away from your presence. How's your personal worship life? Do you spend time in the presence of God personally? Do you, do you carve out time to just worship him? If not, well, you're probably not going to be a great evangelist. You know, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't go 
and, and say, let me teach you how to become a fisher of men. No, he said, if you follow me, this is going to be the result. If you live your life near Jesus Christ, the result is that you are going to fish for men. If you are in the presence of God constantly, you are going to go and to be sharing the gospel with others. That's just the natural result. Now, now these aren't the steps that people want to go into here. Hey, confess your sins more. Hey, go and ask God to not just take your sin away, but then to go and to give you a longing to do what is right. Hey, the third thing is, is go and worship God more. You, you know, people don't really want to hear these kind of things. They, they want to go and hear, okay, but but what's the five-step trick to go and to get people to believe? What's the the, the four-step thing to go and to, to get me so that I'm no longer afraid? But, but I'm telling you, this is the scriptural prescription for how to become a better evangelist. And now it's found in a psalm that people generally don't uh, associate with evangelism. But it's right here in the passage. The next one, it says, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Once again, there's communion. Do you listen to the Holy Spirit? You know, when he goes, uh-huh, uh-uh, or uh-oh, when, when the Holy Spirit is telling you that one of those three things, are you listening to him? Are you working on listening to the Holy Spirit? of God. Because if you're not, then you're going to be grieving him or you're going to be quenching him. And if you're grieving the Holy Spirit by living your life in sin, or if you're quenching the Holy Spirit, but by not going and listening to what he's saying and following his leading, guess what? You're not going to be an evangelist. You're not going to be going and sharing the gospel with very many people. You need to go and to get this right in your life. You need to be listening to what God's Spirit is saying to you what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And then in verse 12, it says this, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me uh, by your generous spirit. You know, the, the last thing that I really want to point out here about how to go and to share the gospel more is you need to be thankful. You need to be thankful for your own salvation. When was the last time that you set time aside to just go and to thank God that he saved you? And not just say, oh, Lord, thank you for saving me. And uh, I pray that you would bless this food, be nourished to my body, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about going and actually spending time before God, realizing the path that you were on, realizing the sinner that you were, and thanking him for pulling you out of the muck and the mire of sin and putting your feet on a high path that is heading towards heaven. Have you, have you thanked him recently for that? Have you found the joy in your salvation? Because I can tell you this, if you're not taking joy in your salvation, you certainly are not going to be drawing others to God. You're certainly not going to be going and pointing others to Christ, really. You're not going to be going and drawing them in. You're not going to be going and being a fisher of men. And by the way, those fishers that they were talking about, they weren't fishing with a fishing pole. They were fishing with a net where they would go and to drag those nets in. It was a drag net that they'd cast out and draw that net back in. That's the type of way that we're to fish for men, is that they should be drawn to us because we have the joy of God. They should be going and looking and saying, look, there's something different in your life. Now, don't get me wrong. You haven't shared the gospel until you 
actually speak because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You cannot get somebody saved. You can't truly be a witness without sharing the gospel, but people should see a difference in your life. And part of that difference should be the joy of your salvation. The final thing that I want to look at here this morning, and it'll be just really quick and really brief, and it's verse 17. It says this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And he goes on and he he talks more about sacrifices there in the next two verses. And uh, in in verse 16, he also talks a little bit about this. But I, I really want to leave you with this. If you want to have a heart after God, you need to understand this verse. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a, and a broken and contrite heart. You know, of course, God calls you to do things, right? Works, works are important. He calls you to go and to do things for him. And so many people, a lot of times, you know, they there's one of two extremes. Either you're all about religion or you despise religion. But here we're trying to find the truth of Scripture, not, not fall into a ditch. The reality of it is, is that the works that you do for God are worthless and meaningless. There is filthy rags, is what Isaiah 64, 6 says, if you don't have a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. The heart that is after God breaks when sin enters into it, when sin is revealed and you realize there is sin in my life. I need to get this sin out of my life. Until you have a broken and contrite spirit or heart, broken spirit and a contrite heart. If you don't have those, you can't be a person after God's own heart. This is what David had. His heart broke when he was confronted with his sin. It was great sin. But what is your response when you're confronted with sin? Well, thank you for listening today. And remember Joshua 1, 8, 9 as we depart. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. That you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And we pray because it's all we can do. And while we trust in Jesus, sometimes he leaves us waiting for his hand to move. Oh, but even in darkness, we hold to the promise. There's nothing we can't overcome. 